0: I uh, remember so vividly the freedom that I felt when I was first a Christian. Here was something to believe in, I sensed, that that truly did set me free. Becoming a Christian, it felt for me, frankly, like... like, um, uh, an aquarium fish might feel released into the vast ocean that was its natural habitat. Suddenly I realised, for instance, that the whole story of the world from eternity past to eternity future was encapsulated in the truths that I was learning. I came to see actually that the truths of the Bible are the, are the centrepiece of all truth. And the more I examined it, the more I tested it, the more confident actually I became of it, that I, that I could explore in any direction I like to vast vistas of, uh, of truth and find that the Bible served as a touchstone and a centrepiece for all of that. And as I, as I entrusted my life to God, I, I, I realised that there were, there were enormous ranges of life possibilities that were, were open to me. The whole earth belongs to God and I could serve him absolutely anywhere in the world. I realised that, that um, whatever he called me to, he would equip me for, wherever he took me, he, uh, he would be with me, he would protect me, he would guide me, he would encourage me, he would provide for me and that there was no fear, not even the fear of death that needed to hold me back because... God would keep me safe for as long as he wanted to and then when my time has come, he would take me into eternal bliss and glory. What a freedom! My happiness didn't rest on the the length of my life, the abundance of my possessions, the absence of pain. I was absolutely secure in God and and, uh, God was going to work throughout my life and for all eternity for my good. The butterfly had burst out of its chrysalis. The, the, the tadpole had grown, grown legs and, and got out of the little muddy pond. The uh, aquarium fish was swimming in the coral reef. But actually something else I discovered over the years
1: there are enormous forces in this world that want to take that freedom away.
0: Now, some of those forces, frankly, are just intrinsic to the way the world is. We live in a fallen world which imposes limitations on us, all kinds of limitations, ultimately summed up by the fact that we still die. And in, it, it, it awaits eternity before we will have true uh, ultimate liberation from all the constraints of this uh, this fallen world and, and and to a certain extent we have to live within that but there are other forces uh, that that want to rob us of our freedom that that are not intrinsic to this world no they 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 well up from within our hearts they 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 seek to to, um, uh, uh, entrap us and capture us and restrain us in ways
1: that God does not want us to be restrained. So often, actually, those things masquerade as freedom, but they are
0: actually forces of bondage and slavery. The chrysalis, the puddle and the goldfish
1: bowl, bowl wants us back. You know, the world that we live in, particularly this part of the world, is often,
0: often spoken of as the free world. But I, I want to try and persuade you this morning that simply to live in this world by its standards, by the way that this world lives, is to live in a gilded cage. It may be comfortable, it may be attractive, it may even at times delude us that we are free, but actually, if you live like this world does, you are profoundly captive. This morning, the text that we have is actually going to tell us that there are three elements to that. Ca- uh, captivity, all of them prominent in our culture. All of them prominent in 1 Corinthians 9. Money, lifestyle and rights. And we're just not going to have time to to unfold all of those this morning. So, so this evening we're going to unfold them uh, uh, a little bit more. We're not going to have a chance really to focus for instance on how captive we are if we simply think I must live in my lifestyle, the lifestyle of my choice. We'll look at that this evening. We're not going to have a chance to think how captive we are if actually we are obsessed by rights. We think rights set us free. Actually an obsession with rights will capture us. We'll look at that probably a little bit more this evening and we'll glance at it uh, this morning. What, what is going to have to be the the centrepiece of what we talk about this morning because it is the centrepiece of what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9 is how money makes us slaves if you remember if you were here last week um, we heard Paul calling us to sacrifice legitimate freedoms that we might have for the sake of loving others And I wouldn't blame you, I'm sure it went through many hearts here, if you thought to yourself, why should I be restricted in this unfair way? Why should I limit my freedoms? Wasn't it for freedom I was set free as a Christian? That just wells up in our hearts very very naturally. And uh, the Apostle Paul is pursuing that theme. The theme of what it really means to be free as a Christian. Did you see in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9, am I not free, he says. You see, it seems that um, uh, many people in uh, Corinth were portraying him as a pretty, pretty pathetic Christian leader who hadn't, hadn't embraced the full freedoms of Christianity, particularly in uh, chapter 9, we'll see him addressing their accusation that he hadn't, take, he hadn't taken advantage of the freedom he had to expect financial support. And they looked down their noses at him. Teachers in Paul's uh, day, um, that's what they did. They gathered disciples around themselves and they expected, it was expected that they would live off money that those uh, disciples provided. But Paul didn't do that. He often used uh, uh, did manual labour, something that was distinctly despised, making tents to make a living for himself. He restricted himself. Is that freedom? His answer is uh, um, comes to us today, and um, I've tried to sum it up. In a couple of sentences and I'm not going to, i 'm not going to put anything else up on the screen i 'm just going to leave those sentences for you to glance back at when i'm uh, uh, while i 'm talking because I think that might be the best way that you can get it into your uh, get, we can get it into our minds. An obsession with rights, Paul is going to say, particularly with our right to a fair wage and our right to a certain li- lifestyle, is a profound bondage, he's going to say actually surrendering our rights for the gospel is a profound act of Christian freedom. Now, I know that is difficult to get our heads around. I know that there are paradoxes there and I know that it is fundamentally at odds, you know, 180 degrees opposite from the way That our world thinks. So, I I know that it's going to be hard for us to engage in this, but I take it that every single one of us wants to be free. So, work with me to try to understand what the Apostle is saying in 1 Corinthians 9. On money, he uh, speaks at length in verses 1 to 14. And uh, first of all, he insists again and again and again that Christian teachers, pastors, evangelists, missionaries, anyone who spreads the gospel has the right to financial support. He uses the word right there as in my rights, the rights that I claim. He uses that word more in this chapter than in any other chapter in the whole of the Bible. This is important for him. He stresses it again and again and again. Christian teachers have the right to food and drink, he says, verse 4. Don't we have the right, he says, to food and drink? They have the right both to have a family, for that family to travel with them wherever they go, and for the whole family to be supported, verse 5. Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? And then he goes on and he says that's, that, that's, a, that's a universal arrangement from, from, the, from the field of battle to the vineyards of home to the, to, the, to the mountain pastures up in the hills. He says everybody works like that. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? It's the way the world works. More than that he says it's set out in Scripture verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? This was written for us. God cares about cattle like that, he says, enough to have it put down in the Old Testament law. Certainly, certainly he cares about people, doesn't he? That's what he's saying. Indeed, it was built into the religious into into the the, the details of religious service in the Old Testament. Verse 14. In the same way that, um, uh, sorry, um, uh, verse 13. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the
1: gospel. This is a right Says Paul, this is a right. This is a right.
0: Expect that it will be the normal pattern in churches. It is the normal pattern. Was the normal pattern for the apostles of his day, and it was absolutely right, correct. And, And let me say here, in this church, you are you are excellent in recognizing that. You know, for pastoral staff. Here pay is set according to teachers' pay scales simply to ensure that those who work for the gospel get a fair day's wage. You you are excellent as a church. I and others who've been here or will be here are beneficiaries of that. On Tuesday it was already mentioned we'll be setting aside Amy ski for for missionary service and, and it's entirely appropriate and our mission policy is committed to it that she is supported financially by us and uh, uh, and by others beyond. Anyone who devotes themselves to the Gospel full time has that right. Paul doesn't want to be misheard about what he's about to say. So he uses what I think I, I counted up to, about a dozen different images, simply to say That one thing. Gospel workers deserve to be paid. But his punchline is really, really important. He doesn't use that right. He said it first in the second half of verse 12.
1: We do not
0: use this right, he says. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And then he says it again in verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Now, we shouldn't mishear Paul in the other direction either. I mean, Elsewhere, for instance, in his letters, he's absolutely unabashed about asking for financial support. Uh, he seems, in fact, when you sift it all out, to have a reasonably clear policy. When he's reaching out to non-Christians, he never asks for money. The gospel, he insists, must be offered free of charge and he does not want his relationship with those people to be complicated by any implication that he may be offering them the gospel for money. And uh, similarly, actually, that, can, that seems to continue in embryonic churches, where he's, um, where he's serving to, to establish that church. He doesn't seem to, uh, at least um, widely in that church, ask for money. Where he looks for his support is from mature churches and mature believers often uh, uh, some distance away, um, uh, so that he can um, devote himself wholeheartedly to outreach and to building up these embryonic churches. And uh, uh, at some points in his life, he got sufficient support to do that, and at other points in his life, he didn't and he had to go out to work and earn earn a living as a tent maker. And in Corinth, he had spent some of his time working as a tent maker and just preaching in the, what, what time there was left and then also for a period there was enough support coming in from elsewhere that he could devote himself to full-time gospel work but apparently because still he considered that church to be an immature ch- ch- church that might get the wrong end of the stick he didn't ask them for money even now. He didn't want to do anything that would hinder the gospel of Christ, he says in verse 12. The gospel of Christ, you see, was far more important to him than his financial rights. Indeed, he tells us in verses 16 to 18 that he had a particular personal spiritual conundrum Verse 16, when I preach the gospel I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach, the, preach voluntarily I have a reward, but if not voluntarily I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so may not make use of my rights in preaching of it. And we need to un- un- unpack that a little to understand what he's saying. He's reminding them, first of all, he has an utterly unavoidable call to gospel work. Um, you, know, you, you know it, I'm sure. He met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was his Damascus experience and his conversion was intimately bound up with, in fact, his call to spread the gospel all around the world. So to stop preaching for him was effectively to walk away from his faith. And that is not, frankly, every preacher's experience. In verse 17 he seems to acknowledge that there are those who preach voluntarily, as he puts it. And there is great reward in that. But he says, I've got a conundrum.
1: I he says, and voraciously hungry for a reward. Not a financial reward though. He's
0: talking about those far more solid, far more permanent, far more satisfying eternal rewards that God promises us for every free, voluntary act of commitment to him. And How is he going to get that reward if he's not preaching voluntarily, if he feels himself to be under unique divine compulsion that he cannot get out of? How is he going to get that reward in eternity? Aha, he says, I've got an idea.
1: I'll preach free of charge. I'll go beyond what I have to do
0: in order, in fact, to, 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 to demonstrate to God my overwhelming commitment to serve him
1: and in order, as Jesus would have put it, to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth.
0: We've already seen that's not the only reason that he doesn't, um, uh, doesn't ask for money. He's, ke- he's careful about, uh, he, he's worked out a policy, but he uses this one to prick consciences, to turn their thinking upside down. What does
1: it look like to be free as a Christian? Does it look like claiming all the rights we have as a believer? Including the financial rights? Or does it look like someone who gives away their rights in order to live freely devoting themselves to God?
0: He's using his freedom to chase. Rewards with all the energy that he has got. And of course, the Corinthians say, Hooray, well done. Oxford would say, Amen,
1: until they both see the rewards that he's chasing. He's chasing eternal rewards with all his might. And he will not be enslaved. By money. So that's the
0: mindset that he's trying to establish in those people's minds. Absolutely contrary to the mindset that they have. Absolutely contrary to the mindset that our world has what do you use your freedom for in this world? To get the best job with the highest pay and the greatest reputation.
1: The best life partner that you can. To claim every single thing that you can get your hand on. No, says Paul. Let's be grasping after things. The things that really matter. and The decisions that Judy and I have made over the years which were consciously
0: against the um, money obsession of, of our world have for us may have been tough sometimes but they've been wonderfully free. You know giving up Veterinary medicine for me was, was painful in many ways. The financial hit was, um, uh, was one of them and yet it did something wonderful to my soul. Yeah, when, when we came to Magdalen Road, I've often told this story, its financial concision was such that the, the faithful people who were here could barely support us as a family with three pre, preschool children and then only for one year But we decided we would make the decision because we felt that God was calling us to Oxford and he provided support and the rest is history. I, I often joke that every, every job move that I've made in my life has actually been a, job move, a move down in wages. Luckily, within the job, the wages have sometimes
1: gone up or we would be in trouble you know there's a deep, deep liberty in making decisions like that? Where we say,
0: no, I am going to make a decision for my
1: eternal well-being and I will not let money rule me. And let me say as well, those decisions for us don't get particularly easier as life goes on.
0: But, but we are determined for the rest of our lives to make decisions according to, um, for, for God's glory, for the gospel according to the calling that he has put on our lives and for our greatest reward. And that doesn't mean that we totally ignore money any more than the Apostle Paul did. If you look at his letters, um, um, money was, a, was an issue again and again because everybody needs financial support. But it does mean that we are not ruled by money. And not not every one of us here is called to to, uh, full-time gospel work, but but Paul is laying out his example to them as an example for everyone,
1: not just for, for gospel workers. What are you focused on, he's saying? Now when we
0: appealed for, uh, for money to support Dan Steele starting in, uh, in June there was actually a wonderful response in, in the church even in these hard times. It was, uh, it was very encouraging. Um, I, I don't know who gave what. I, I make sure that I don't, I don't know any, um, any of those details. I don't think a pastor should. But Andrew Sadler um, did, did remark that the, the
1: main source of that generosity was from people who were already giving generously. And I did just wonder are we divided in two here
0: between people who've got that and give again and again and again until
1: it hurts? And others, I don't know. But God does. And what about, what about your attitude to your career?
0: Are you just going to take the, the best job, the highest paid job, the job in the most comfortable place, the job, the job that gives you the greatest status? Are you going to sit down and try to make a balanced decision according to your calling
1: before the Lord? Or will money be your Lord? You know, in, in, uh, uh, in Oxford, almost everyone, barring the
0: super-rich, moves away from the, from the heart of the city by the time they are aged 35. So, uh, Morden Road, for the last decade and a half, has seen literally hundreds and hundreds of people pass through our doors, but only a tiny proportion of them, a tiny minority, stay. And... and until recently, I've just taken that as, as, uh, as a fact of life and of course it is in some ways and it gives us opportunities for ministry, um, uh, for influence in wonderful ways because those hundreds and hundreds of people go throughout the world and hopefully they take a little bit of what they got here. But, but I did have stopped more recently and thought,
1: might the Lord be calling some people to stay here long term? You will live in a
0: smaller house if you do. You may have to take a lesser job. You will have to serve, uh, function in a church where increasingly you, even though you're not that old, feel old and where actually you see people moving on again and again and again. But actually, I would have to say, the people who are really... um, uh, um, being used by God amongst us overwhelmingly are people who have been here for some time. It's just a fact of life. I began to wonder whether in fact
1: some shouldn't make a decision. I'll stick here long term, though it's costly, for the gospel, for my eternal reward. You know, there may well be some real practical
0: implications of that. Paul had to face that he couldn't preach quite as freely actually because some of the time he was having to just be a tent
1: maker. But he was prepared to take that cross because he would not be ruled by money. At the end of the day there are
0: all sorts of paradoxes here aren't there?
1: How how can it be true freedom to renounce your freedoms? But actually we follow a Lord who was full of paradoxes. The
0: Apostle Paul in fact will end his long argument about uh, uh, from chapters 8 through chapter 10, about how we are called to live. In chapter 11, verse 1, it's just at the bottom of the page of my version.
1: Follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. Paul's saying, I follow Christ, and
0: you should too. Christ was truly paradoxical, wasn't he? You know, he became poor, yet inherited the world. He became a slave, but in doing so became truly free and made others free. He surrendered all his power in order to be appointed as, as the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. He submitted himself to be detained, to be bound, to be nailed to a cross. The, the ultimate
1: impotence until he died. And yet that was, the, that was his power. That was his freedom. His resurrection proved it. You cannot follow Jesus Unless you're prepared to embrace some of those paradoxes, we will not be truly free until we learn to be a slave.